This is a conversation with Billy Griffin. He's a dancer, choreographer, and a dance educator, popularly known for his work on multiple productions on Broadway. He's also currently a dance teacher at Steps on Broadway and the Broadway Dance Center. In this conversation, we discuss the flow state in dancing, the connections between spirituality and dance, not letting creativity consume you, and then we also debate the tough love style of teaching. This is no time. If you like what you see, then do hit subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify, or rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. This project continues to take a lot of my time, money, and efforts. If you'd like to see it continue, do consider making a donation on Patreon, Anchor, Instagram. Pick your poison. If not through monetary channels, then do consider showing your support by sharing these episodes with your friends or maybe even your social media channels. All your likes, comments, and your engagement really, really, really goes a long way. For other forms of love and support, you can follow this channel on Instagram or Twitter or follow me personally. And now, everybody. It's no time. In 2002, in a production titled An Evening with Billy Griffin. Oh my gosh. At the Donald O Theater in Norwich, Connecticut. A gentleman on stage said the following words. I want a job that's not really a job. Something that I love to do. And I know deep down inside that it's the right path for me. I just want to dance. My first question for you. Looking back now, what was it about dance that appeal to you from such a young age that got you hooked in such a way that you were certain that's the right path for you? Uh, that is a very <laughs> great way to start a conversation. <laughs> Evening with Billy Griffin. Oh my gosh. Dance for me has always been the thing that um, has brought me most alive. I think everyone um, has something in their life that when they're fully in it, um, it, it brings out the best version of themselves and dance has always been that thing for me. So it's something that, um, when I'm giving myself fully to the dance, uh, I forget about, um, any roles I play in society. Um, you know, like any daily drama, it's something that brings me into the immediate present. And yeah, and that's, that is why I have, um, had a relationship with it since such a young age. And it's been the most important thing in my life since then. When you talk about being fully in it, I want to tie this in. You had mentioned in a previous interview about a flow state mm -hmm. and you had described it as this zone where time and space cease to exist. And you just alluded as well, when you get fully into it and you forget about the world around you, how often does that happen to you? Does it happen to you every single time that you dance? And can you explain that feeling a bit further? So flow state, um, it's for me, it happens many times throughout the day, not just with dance. It can happen when I'm, um, making a pizza at home. Actually, yeah. it's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. It's, yeah. um, you know, it's like when you're fully giving yourself to the present moment and, uh, allowing that voice that is usually, you know, it's constant feedback. It's kind of like that voice, which is usually at the forefront takes a seat back and, um, yeah, I, in, in terms of dance, I think that for me, obviously when I'm choreographing, when I'm in a studio, flow state is something that you can't force. You can't, the, the, it's like the more that I want to be in it, the further um, it doesn't happen and I push it away. So it's something that I just, I hope that I'm like today, I'm walking into a studio and I hope that I'm going to be fully present and enter that flow state. But, you know, some, there's some days where I have more personal stuff going on where it's harder to 
get into that spot. But I will say that that at least once a day, I find myself in flow state. Maybe it's not dancing, but I would say at least once a day. And uh, yeah, and I think that's the reason why I dance. Like we just were touching on is, is that flow state. It's because it's that moment where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm worried about other things. And it's like just me in the present moment. Once a day is a great metric. I think that's <laughs> yeah, you one, know? <laughs> one more than everyone else. Do you remember the first time? Was it was the first time? Let me try to take a guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the first time on choreography day at junior year in high school when you danced to Lucy in the Sky by the Beatles and the I Am Sam soundtrack? <laughs> that Wow. So that piece of choreography, so my junior year of high school, um, that was um, the studio that I grew up at. The owner of the studio gave me permission to work with a group of dancers. It was my first time giving permission, being like, here's a studio that you don't have to pay for. Here um, are six dancers and you can make whatever you want. Um, yeah, I think that that was the first time that I, I was able to um, get out of my own way, I think. And I, and I realized, I was like, oh, wow, this is w- what it means. and what I created with those dancers, what we um, made together um, was something that, it, yeah, I think it was my first time experiencing that flow state because um, what we created, the, it ended up, not to talk about awards and stuff, but it was the first time that I was recognized for choreography. I'd, I'd sure. been making things when I was younger, but this was the first time I got to present something and have feedback and I realized, oh, it was because I was able to enter that flow state with these dancers and get out of my own way and create something that was um, bigger than myself. That didn't sound too lofty. It did not. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I have another story from your life yeah, yeah, yeah. that I want to check with you. When you were on a national tour of Mary Poppins, uh-huh. You started to feel a certain disconnect, a certain detachment. And that was a point where you turned towards spirituality. Uh-huh. And since then, you have incorporated spirituality into your work quite extensively. You begin a lot of your dance classes with a guided meditation session. Mm-hmm. You encourage dancers to look within, work on themselves, do a lot of inner work as well. Yeah. I find inner work to be very fascinating and we will dive into that. But before that, I do have to ask you this broader question. How much of dance is less about the movements, less about expression, less about the performance, but instead, first and foremost, how much of dance is just purely a spiritual experience? Ooh, and this is when I start playing with the Legos. Um, (laughs) No, but... uh, So just to make sure I'm getting this question right, how much of dance is a spiritual experience for me? Yes. You know, I... I would say the majority of, of time dance for me. Um, and it's the reason why I'm still doing this and why I've created a career out of it is because it's a spiritual thing for me. Um, obviously there's the business side of dance and having a career, um, centered around dance and theater. There's a lot of, you know, business stuff, but the spiritual aspect of dance is what keeps me coming back. Um, and now that I'm able to lead rooms, whether it's a class or a rehearsal, and I can kind of make the rules for the room. And I realized how much um, people are craving a sense of spirituality, even if they don't know it, even if they don't have the words for it, um, which is why I begin my 
when I start a rehearsal or a class, I begin with a meditation. Um, it's this idea of coming back to ourselves. I think especially in New York and in particular in the arts, having there's like this hustle and this grind that, and I, and I'm, I think it's everywhere, but I see it a lot in the dance and theater community. Um, it's a lot of promoting yourself and, and being the best and it's competitiveness and it's feeling like an individual and separate and, and how do I compare to this person? Am I better or, you know, worse, yeah. so to speak. So to have, um, a space where it's like, that is not the thing it's, it's, can you, um, can we rest in beingness? Like, can we stop being a human doer for a little bit and be a human being? Um, that is, and, and that's touching, that's that spirituality. That's that coming back home, so to speak, coming back to ourselves and realizing that we're all connected and this interconnectedness. And it's, I mean, with all, you know, not to, I don't want to, well, I'm sure we'll dive more into that, but, um, yeah, dance provides that for a lot of people, even if they don't have the words for it. So I think I'm helping people realize like, oh, dance is not just something you do because someone said like, oh, you're talented and it's great exercise or whatever. It's a lot of people are drawn to dance because the same reason I am, because it um, gets them out of their own head and connecting with something bigger than themselves. Right. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Yeah. As a follow up from this while, yeah. while you were talking about it. Let's let's take theater acting as an as yeah. a point of comparison that mm -hmm. is also done on stage. Yes. How much of dance in comparison is for an audience and how much of dance is for yourself? Because I feel theater, you can't make the case that you can just do it in your room and it would mean as much because the audience is an yes. important factor. Yes. But dance, you could just dance anywhere. It might mean the same to you as well on stage, right? That is a really good question. Um, and I feel like there's... And I've I've had teachers and directors, choreographers who have different feelings around this. Um, where I stand, I think dance because it is it's very vulnerable, especially as a as a performer. You are your work is your body and the expression of you know in your movement, and it's, there's something really vulnerable about that. Um, and so, yes, like you said, you can dance anywhere and you don't need an audience. Um, and, but, you know, in terms of theater, I think that it's like my husband sings by himself in the apartment all the time. There's no, I mean, and I know he does it when I'm not there. And so there's no audience. I think, it, it, I think that the, you know, the business part, that's where it's like always comes back to the business. The show business of it all is having an audience. And, but I think it's important to, because I, I, there are times in my life where I'm so focused on the, how everything's being received. And I forget about all the stuff we were talking about, the connection, um, the spirituality aspect of it all. And so I think it's important to balance that, whether you're a dancer, whether you're a singer, an actor, it's like, can you keep on, um, nurturing your craft uh in a way that um so you're not just doing it for the audience it's like finding that balance and i you know and i think that there are times in my life where i'm like i said i'm worried about how things are being received and then i'm like why does this feel so empty i don't want to do this career anymore and i'm like oh because i've lost that connection to what does dance mean for me personally so yeah i think i i think I'm, i know i'm like going all over with this answer but 
I do think there is a there is a balance because then also there's this thing if you're only dancing for yourself all the time, um, especially if you have a career in it and you're and you're not sharing as much, then there's also that you know then I I find you're you're getting you're not sharing your gift and I think that we have gifts that are meant to be shared, so it's finding that balance between having an audience and then also doing it for yourself. Let's dive deeper into it then. Yes, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. You have often said that dancers need to do two types of work. Mm-hmm. Outer work, which yes. concerns your appearance, your fitness, your shoes, uh-huh. things uh-huh. of external nature. And inner work, which you've just alluded to as well, which is, in your words, inner work is what draws the audience into you and gives depth to your yes. performance. Yes. Let's explore both further. What is outer work? What is inner work? What are the differences between the two? And how can dancers work on each? This is Dance 101, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, um, just to clarify, so asking how can you work on both aspects of yourself? To become a better dancer. Um, well, obviously, there's technique 101. There's the training, which is, uh, which is obviously really important. I think I, I like to say this, and I talk about this in my classes, that um, there was a reason why you started taking class and there was that spark that all the stuff that we talked about earlier about that connection, that thing that, you know, it's like, Oh, dance brings me alive. So, and there's this expression and then you have to have, um, somebody to come around and be like, all right, let me help you refine this. And here are the techniques. This is how you approach this step. Um, and then there is a point in your training where you have to then go, Oh, I have to remember the reason why I, I wanted to start dancing in the first place. So I, I am always reminding people that they're, you know, especially now with professionals, we're so we're taking class all the time and you know, you're um, taking, you're going to the gym or doing yoga or taking care of your body in that way. Uh, and then there comes a point where you're like, Oh, I'm so worried about the outside. I have to, go back to the inside. It's this thing that I just stated about. It's like finding that balance of working the outside. I call it the, your outer posture and then your inner posture. And I think a lot of us um, are so worried about the outer posture, especially now with social media, because it's all about how we're perceived on the outside and we forget about the inner posture. So that's why I like to, going back to that question before, begin my classes with those moments of coming back to yourself and you um, get in touch with that thing that made you want to dance in the first place. Um, How do you do that, though? You know, it's it for me. It, you mean like in class? How do I get people to do that, or just in general? How both? Yeah. If I want to be a dancer tomorrow, how do I start doing the inner work? Well, why would you? You know, I would ask you. You know, do you? Why do you like dancing? And whatever came out, you'd be like, "Well, I love." the way that I can express myself through movement. Um, so I would say, okay, great. You have, you know, you wouldn't start dancing unless there was something inside of you that's like, I want to dance. So it's remembering that and then making yourself, okay, now I have to go take class. So what style of dance do I want to focus on? And luckily, New York City, you can find any sort of level, any style of, of, of dance to take. You train in that, and then you also keep on coming back to why you started dancing and wanted to dance in the first place. It's it's always having both things at once, I think. 
so that one, it's like watering both the outside and the inside. Because if you just water one and not the other, then you feel, you know, it's like an unbalance. Right. So finding that balance, finding that weight that you give to each is important. How tangible is, so do you have something else? No, to no, add no. I'm just like, no, these are, no, it's, it's good. It's like getting me thinking. It's, yeah. it's, you know, thank you. Let's get you thinking even more. Yeah. How tangible is this inner work? Can you tell within two seconds of an audition, whether that person's going to make it? In fact, let me stretch this in further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you walk into a room and immediately tell who's going to make it in the audition just because of the inner work that they've done that shines so brightly? Yes, I actually, now I would say that I've, I've lived in New York for almost 20 years, this, this August, coming up August, it'll be 20 years in New York City. And I would say now where I am in my life, I can walk into a room, um, whether I'm leading an audition or leading a class, and I can tell who has done work on themselves internally, who has really connected to that beingness, that timeless presence, whatever you want to call it, and who has only focused on the outside. Because there is a desperation in people's dancing. If, if they're just worried about external validation, um, there's this feeling of like, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's really turn like, actually people don't like, you know, it's yeah. like it gets it's the opposite. You actually don't want to watch somebody who is, um, who is coming at you with that sort of intensity uh, because they're, they don't trust themselves and they don't feel like they're enough and they're worried about they're like in order for me to feel enough, I have to get external validation. Whereas I can see the people right away. It's just, um, there's a sense of knowing and there's a sense of calmness that people have that, that they know that they are enough just as they are. And it's almost, they make me want to watch them. It's instead of them saying, watch me, watch me. There's this feeling of like, I already know that I'm, I got this and that and which makes me want to watch them. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's come with just with age and then also doing work on myself as I can, you know, it's like, I can see if, because I've done work on myself in, internally, I can see when other people have as well. I can't tell you how interested I am by this because it goes against the grain. Like if you, if tomorrow I want to take up dance, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, I need to go learn some moves. I need to learn this yes. choreography, uh -huh. but in fact, the first thing I should do is probably look within, connect with that inner joy that I would get from dance and then start the work from there. Oops. Yeah, you know, it's I think why I'm not on TikTok, but I think why the TikTok dance craze thing works, it, why people are so um, drawn to it is people don't, there are a lot of people that don't have the technical training, but they have that inner spark, that um, joy. And so, you know, it's like, we want to watch that. It's the same reason why on a lot of dance reality shows, it's not necessarily the person that has had years and years of training and the most expensive schools. Um, it's, it's a lot of times people root for that person that like, look at, they might not have been, um, they might not have had the most technical training, but they have this aliveness, this joy that they connect to when they're dancing. And it, and those are the people that we root for because there is a humanity that shines through. And I think that with any, um, with anything, like it's that feeling of presence that 
everyone's drawn to. It's, you know, it's not even just in dance. It's like why I can go to a coffee shop and the barista who is like totally present and so excited about making latte art where I can, I can be like, wow, I could watch that all day. Um, so it's, I do think it comes down to a, a, uh, a presence, a, a full presence embodied in presence that we're drawn to. And yeah, that's something that I've learned as I gotten older. I'm like, Oh yeah, why am I, that person is doing all the moves correctly. And they're like, facility is amazing and they can jump really high and turn a lot, but they're not, there's something lacking. And I'm like, Oh, they've lost that connection to, to their beingness, their essential nature. And they're just worried about the outer. I don't know if that make any sense. It does make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's very interesting. Follow up question. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were talking about when you were talking about inner work, you said those people radiate a sense of calm, sense of peace that comes with it. Reminds me of something Mark Twain had said. He had said that the right word is effective, but no word is as effective as a rightly timed pause. Billy Griffin has said before that art and creativity often stem from stillness. Like I said, uh, just before this question as well, when you talk about dance, the first image that comes to my mind is movements and often a lot of movements at high speed. But have I got the wrong idea? Do you think stillness is as important to dance as the movements itself? Maybe even more so? That is a very good question. I, um, I, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, I was speaking to um, a woman who was writing a paper on stillness and dance. And, and sh- we were touching on this, the same um, sort of idea of like how important is stillness. And I think for me, if we're going to like zone out and stillness being this, also this timeless presence, this unchanging, whatever you want to call it, awareness. Um, it's almost like the container that movement comes out of for me. And that at least that's how, how I see it. Cause there are a lot of times where I'll go into a studio to create something. And if I'm, um, a, in a, in a crunch, like I have a deadline to create something and, and I find my ego wanting to just like, okay, we gotta get moves out. Let's just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm never happy with what I make it. So it's it almost as it seems counterintuitive to actually start from a place of stillness because you're like, no, but it's movement and, and we're on a deadline and we got to rush, we got to rush. And so I, I find that like when I'm really stressed and I'm coming um, into the studio and I have a lot going on mentally. I'm like, okay, that's even more reason for me to find this place of stillness to allow myself to fully come back to this moment. Um, and then from there, you know, I, true creation springs from that place, that like deeper place. It's, a, it's like it's spontaneous. It's, um, I find uh, when, I'm, when I don't get still before I work, the stuff that comes out, it's like, ugh, I've done that before. Ugh, I'm like not happy with that. But when I can come create from a place of stillness, um, new things come out. It's uh, that whole idea of like Zen mind, beginner's mind, that you approach everything as if it was the first time you were, you know, approaching something. And I think that's, you know, when we experience something for the first time, usually there's a, a moment of stillness because we're in awe and um, we don't have any preconceived ideas. So that's why I try to like begin all my rehearsals or classes with these 
moments of stillness so that we can come out of it. And it's like, ah, we're experiencing this as if it's the first time we're experiencing it. And we're not coming from um, a mental place. That makes any sense. It all makes sense. So far, you've been convincing me um, about the importance of inner work. I completely agree with you of looking within. But can that, can you cross that line? And I have an example here. So, so far, we've been flirting around the idea of creativity. So let's tackle that monster. And I have a specific example. So the movie, All That Jazz, (gasps) depicts the life. I love that movie. Yes. Classic. Yeah. Depicts the life of Bob Fosse Uh as this creative cerebral force this lone genius whose pursuit for greatness ends up isolating him from his friends his family his wife and his kids and ultimately ends up consuming him spoiler alert (laughs) in the middle of the movie as Fosse is going through a spiral one of the side characters says I got insight into you Gideon you know what's underneath there's a deep-rooted fear of being conventional there's a dreadful fear of being ordinary to which Fosse says, right. I don't know if you remember that scene. I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> Is this a challenge for you as well, personally? Have you ever caught yourself from not pushing yourself too far to not be ordinary, not be conventional? And have you ever caught yourself from letting your creativity take away your life so, so intensely that you've isolated yourself from friends and family and probably you found yourself, found it even consuming you? Um... So I think, A, I've seen that movie many times, one of my favorite <laughs> movies, um, because I have, I have watched firsthand um, people in my life, creatives in my life, um, at points and push away everything else in the pursuit of their art. And I've been very lucky where I've learned from watching and observing other people that I if I ever feel, I mean, th- I guess this could be a small example. There are some months where I find myself traveling a lot, setting choreography, different places, uh, doing random gigs and teaching a lot. And I kind of push my social life away, like friends. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have a husband who, who is very good about staying connected to his friend group. Who reminds me like, hey, you know, make time to have coffee with this person. Um, so I haven't ever let myself fully get to a place where, you know, I'm like, it's me and I'm a, in a studio by myself. I think that this, one of the, the biggest myths about creativity is that you have to go at it alone. And even in that movie, though, I mean, because that is also, you know, Bob Fosse directing his own yeah it's uh, so there's a lot of ego there and i with all due respect um but what i've learned is that creativity is collaborative and it it, yes there's a lot of time you know a lot of things that i'm when i'm working on something like i just um created a piece for this works in progress thing last week and there's a lot of time by myself where i'm like figuring out things but um the real magic happens when I'm with the dancers or um, another choreographer and there is this exchange of ideas and energy. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm very careful not to get to a point where I think that I need to go it alone. And this is coming from me because really at the end of the day, I mean, if you're taking a bigger perspective, it's like, I and my, my belief is that 
all of these ideas are coming from the same place. And so, and, and I do believe that like, yes, we're separate individuals, but we, there's a shared beingness underneath it all. And so these ideas are all coming from that same place. Um, and so it's nobody, it's not, I never feel like, because even with Bob Fosse, he had Gwen Verdon, his wife and the next wife, and he had all these dancers that he was collaborating with. I mean, we always say it's like one person and they're the genius, but there are a whole group of dancers in the rehearsal studio with the person. And so I don't think it ever, creative is not something that is just a one person thing, I, I believe. Um, Cause yeah. And then, like you said, I, it, I think like we romanticize this feel, especially in um, movie and pop culture, this idea of like genius is one person behind closed do doors. Yeah. I, I'm glad you have that group behind you. And I find it slightly ironic. Well, for those who don't know, Alex was oh, on yeah. this show a <laughs> yes. few months earlier. Uh, in fact, one of the few couples who have come on the show, by the way. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, yes. yeah, so I'll send a trophy <laughs> away. Um, but for those who don't know, Alex plays the role of Hades on Hades Town, and I find it ironic that the person who plays Hades is teaching you to not let something consume you entirely, not let your darkness consume you. Yeah. Yeah. You know he. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Alex is um, is his love of friends because I'm, he's more extroverted than I am. I, I would consider myself, there's a spectrum of it. I lean towards being an introvert. Mm -hmm. I'm who just happens to be an extroverted field. I'm very good in front of people, um, leading a room. But after that, you know, I feel really drained and I need to be by myself. Whereas he gains energy by being around people. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a, nice to have that constant reminder that like hey you also like don't hold yourself off by yourself too long you know because there are people here who love you and go have coffee with them yeah <laughs> okay so we spoke about creativity yes not consuming you i spoke about darkness not consuming as a performer i also want to approach it as a teacher you when you were growing up you were exposed to a lot of teachers who believed in the tough love style of teaching. Yes. I believe one of the first dance classes you took was a tap dance class at the age of nine and you hated it completely because mm -hmm. of the teacher. You also faced a lot of bullying in high school because not many boys were in dance at that stage. Yes. In contrast, your teaching style now is the complete opposite. You try to provide a space that's void of judgment, a stage for showcasing the dancers inner work, like you mentioned. You've embodied the philosophy of being this mirror of innate goodness for a dancer. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Do you think there's any scenario where the tough love style of teaching works, whether for a particular teacher, particular student, a certain dynamic they may have, or it's a completely romanticized, misguided, obsolete teaching style that's now been surpassed? Ooh. So I do feel like I am in between two generations of this school of thought, the generation above me, teachers and creatives really coming from a place of tough love to the point of some people being a little bit like a tyrant when they lead the room and the sort of fear based. Um, that's the thing is with tough love. I do think it's important when, especially because um, you don't want people walking all over. You want to be able to like, me like, no, I am leading the room and this is in my space. 
this is how I want to run things. And if you're going to be in the space, you have to follow these rules. Um, because sometimes if you are, uh, it can, you can become a pushover in the sense of if you're always just like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, especially yeah. working with kids. Oh yeah. It's fine that they're talking over me. It's fine. It's fine. So I've kind of had to, though I, I always lead with love. I do find, and this is especially with, um, like high school age kids, which I work with high school age kids a lot, uh, that if, if you are too chummy chummy yeah <laughs> that they're you know they do take advantage of that energy and you know side conversations start happening or they like you're like oh well i don't have to try as hard because you know it, yeah. it's billy so i i've i do have to find that middle ground sometimes i mean i'm never at a point where i don't kick people out of class or i or out of, you know i'm not i've never really yelled at anybody in a rehearsal but i have had to um this happened a couple of weeks ago where I like just had to say, all right, I need to take a five minute walk. And, uh, and when I do that, people realize like, oh, he's being serious. Like we were just goofing off. And when I do find when after I leave the space and come back in, the, um, you know, people tend to be like, all right, I, I got the message. Um, but yeah, cause the, the tough love thing for me, I guess, what what it did for me was it was constantly making me seek approval and that bled into mm, every part of aspect of my life this like idea of i'm not good enough and so i need to get external validation um which all comes back to this idea of becoming your own best friend coming back home to yourself resting in um your essential nature this innate goodness um because i think that the tough love thing does make you feel a sort of lack at least in my experience i'm speaking of like growing up and having a lot of teachers who were you know crossing their arms until you know and and even when you did something correct or whatever there still was never that like great job it was like a all right well next time you're you're gonna get the leg up even higher so it just like never felt like you were enough and that really bled into my personal life um and definitely me um, coming out much later in life because of that. There's, I mean, it's just a whole, it's all connected. So I, that's why I vowed when I first started leading um, rooms that I would never um, come from that place of like, you need to uh, earn my respect and all that, that sort of thing, because I just know what it did to me as a young person. and. And it really did some like internal damage that, which is why I, I um, don't know if I really, when people say like, oh, tough love, I'm like, yeah, I think there is a, there is a, I think it's le- coming from it from a place of love and then being able to like set boundaries without becoming a tyrant. <laughs> yeah. Can I play devil's advocate? Yeah, go, yes, go ahead. Okay. Have you watched the movie Whiplash? You know what? I have not. I I'm very I'm very familiar with, it, but I have not seen yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. It's. I feel like the story has parallels to another movie, Black Swan. Yes. Which yes, you, which I've seen. Which you have watched. Yeah. Yes. So it's very similar. The premise is the same. There's a student who is good, maybe very good, but not great or not a legendary status. And there's a teacher who recognizes it, but to push them to that status, they have to be verbally abusive, mentally abusive, create a very toxic culture so that they get mm-hmm. out of their comfort zone. 
I have a scene from a movie that I want to read out to you that really got me thinking. And I wanted to get your thoughts on yes. it. So this is from Whiplash. And uh-huh. the context is that the student who's a drummer, Neiman, he's having a conversation with his teacher, Fletcher, in a bar. And what he's trying to say to Fletcher is that the practice of the methods that Fletcher uses, which are so abusive, so toxic, they tend to cross the line and they tend to discourage people from even pursuing music even further. So that's what he said. And to that, Fletcher says, I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? To which Neiman says, yup, Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. Not sure if you know this story. And to that, Fletcher says, yeah, exactly. Charlie Parker's a young kid, pretty good on the sax, gets up on a cutting session and he messes it up. And Jones nearly decapitates him for it. He's laughed off stage, cries himself to sleep that night. But the next morning, what does he do? He practices and he practices and he practices with one goal in mind, never to be laughed at again. A year later, he goes back to the Renault. He steps up on the stage. He plays the best solo the world has ever heard. So imagine if Jones had just said, that's okay, Charlie. That was all right. Good job. And then Charlie thinks himself, well, I did do a pretty good job. End of story. No bird. That to me is an absolute tragedy. And that's just what the world wants now. People wonder why jazz is dying. I'll tell you, man. And every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Mm. What do you say to Fletcher from Whiplash? I think, uh, and this is why it is a fine line, because what we do, especially when you are an artist, whether it's that you play an instrument or you're a dancer or a singer, um, what you do is so attached to your body and your sense of identity. And um, I think it's, I think you can like look at your craft as something different of, of like, yes, you need to work on this. You need to improve. And also at the same time be like, but you as a human are, you are great. You are, you are perfect. And, but your artistry, we need to work on. Because I think that it's when you, for me at least, when I was younger and I had, you know, and yes, I had a lot of teachers be like, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. But then when I started having a teacher that, that was like, hey, this is what you did wrong. And we need to work on this. You know, you need to work on this stretch coming at me from that place. But being like, you know, and then I'd start crying. So, you know, I was a people pleaser. Um, that disease to please. And then they would be <laughs> like, that doesn't reflect on you as a human. Like yeah. just because you did not do this phrase correctly, doesn't mean that you are a, um, you're less of a human. Cause that's where I think things get a little wonky is a lot of young people with their art. So attached to who they are as a being in the world that when they're told like, you're bad at you. You mess that up. You mess that up. A lot of them take it meaning that they're bad as a, and that's what, that's how I saw it a lot when teachers. And so it took teachers who come from a place of love. And I guess maybe even you could call it tough love, but I, um, that they were like, you know, let me explain how you get better. Um, and, but that doesn't mean that you as a, you Billy, um, are lacking in any way. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's like, it does being able to separate that just because, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, so I don't know if, if I totally agree with 
it's I think it's also the approach. It's like the throwing of things. It's the it's like for me, it's it, everything has. Um, it's like, what's the intention behind your act? And if somebody threw something at me, which I've actually had people um, throw a thing like we Damn, were, yeah, what? it was a uh, there was a dance teacher who got through a water ball, not at I guess not at us, but like at the wall. And, you know, and that was like one of those moments where you're like, was that necessary? <laughs> can I, can I yeah. continue to push back? Yeah, I'm yeah, playing, yeah. Push I'm back, playing devil's advocate. This please. is the only place I can do this. Yeah, do it. Because I agree with you completely. And I think everything that you have mentioned is the healthy way to approach your art and to separate it from your personality as a whole. But if not, I'm playing devil's advocate. Right? No, so do it. To get... To get to generational talent status, I feel the lines start blurring between your personality and your art in such a way that you have to get that obsession, that passion that needs to creep into your life. It needs to become you. And that becomes athletes, musicians, actors. Yeah. You see it takes yes. over their life completely. Yes. I want to give you another example. So we spoke about Charlie Parker and jazz. Michael Jackson is a very similar example as well. So he had a teacher's dad who was mentally, verbally abusive to him. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind that he ruined his life yeah. completely. Totally. Um, but the argument, I guess, about Fletcher's making here is that if his dad had not done that, and we are all in agreement that, he, yes, he did ruin his life, Michael Jackson wouldn't have been Michael Jackson and had the impact on music and dance that he had. And the positive impact he had on millions of people. And this becomes like this trolley experiment, whether the life of one person is worth sacrificing for yes. the happiness of millions of others, right? Yeah. But... And I don't know what the answer to that is, but one thing I can say for sure is that if Michael Jackson wasn't pushed that far and we would have not had his music and his dance, the loss of that music and dance would have been a huge tragedy. I, you know, I think though that if not, through him, it would have found its way into the world in a different way. I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just not for anybody mistreating another being. Yeah. I just, and so I know, I know what you're saying it's like, oh, but the, you, you know, but I, that's, it's something that, you know, and I, do, I just always comes back to this romanticized view of like the tortured artist. Yeah. And, out comes some tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the suffering. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there is another way. And I'm like, maybe it wouldn't have happened the same way if if he had a different parental upbringing. Um, you know, I think that Michael Jackson's love for what he did was there no matter what, no matter who was telling him what to do. And if he had a different sort of upbringing i think that maybe we would have gotten the same stuff it might have come at a different time might have had a different timeline um because i've you know there's a immediacy with i think that when people they think that like well with the 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 tough love stuff there is like a, i need to get them to fix it now so it's like i'm just gonna by any means if that means i'd have to like berate them throw some things at them so that they make that change right now uh, it's kind of like scaring people into getting better. And I, you know, and then you look at like Michael Jackson spent his whole life chasing after something, never feeling like he was 
which you could argue like, well, it's the chase, like which made him keep on creating yeah. new things. But also then we see how what his demise was. And it's like, is that really worth it for a being to feel like they are never enough? It's going back to that whole thing of I don't think he ever felt at home in him in himself. And so which made him seek that external validation and that and that chasing. Uh, same with like Whitney Houston, like a lot of these yeah. these artists. So Amy Winehouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's that and there is just like a, such a sadness and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, is it, is it really worth it to make a human feel like that? Yeah. Kurt Cobain, another one. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could sit here right all yeah. day and go back all at Janis Joplin like go back and forth. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, you know, it's it, cause like I, I've actually gotten to arguments with people about that, this idea, but like, well, it, it made these artists never settle. And I was like, okay, there's not, there's a never settling in your art. But then when it starts to bleed into you, your personal being and feeling like you're, uh, that's where things get scary because that's when you turn to addictions and um, yeah. So a lot of things to think about. (laughs) We're going in deep. I love it. Definitely so much to think about. And I'm sure these discussions will continue to happen. You mentioned working with kids. So before we start moving to final questions, I wanted to check this with you. What do kids do right when they're learning dance that you feel adults often forget? A sense of playfulness. I think, I think kids, um, you know, and, that, and that's, and I think we touched on this earlier, this idea, like when you're younger, you're more um, apt to, cause you're not as self-conscious. So you're more apt to take risks, to try things, to look silly, to feel, to feel silly. Um, whereas with adults who have gone through a lot of training, um there's a lot of pushing away that playfulness because there's like a seriousness to my art and i'm serious and that's why i you know like sense of humor and i say it all the time when i'm leading a room i like i'm i I always i'm someone who likes to joke a lot i keep things light i love levity in a space even if we're working on something really serious um just because humor cuts to the it just cuts to the core of things you know when somebody spontaneous laugh like spontaneously laughs it's like i see them their essence of who they are it's like that's you um and yeah and so kids just like have that connection i don't know if it's because they're younger and it's like it's that idea of like when a baby is first born and they don't they don't have an ego developed yet and they're like whoa so maybe it's because kids are i don't know but it's it's something that adults which is why i think you know like adults having getting together to play games and stuff is so important. I, I like game night. I love having game night with friends because it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We can be playful. We can have fun still. We focus so much on trying to teach kids new things, but there's so much to learn from them. Mm-hmm. For sure. Before we move into final short of yeah. questions, I would love it if you can interpret what masterpiece you've been building with the Lego. <laughs> you know, um, I think it because we were talking about, this like chasing yep. and I, I, you know, I found myself and I actually thought about it when I was like, I'm making a staircase to wow. the heavens. I have no idea, but I, I just found myself cause I, I do, I do feel like that's, we live our life, like always being like, what's the next level? What's the next level? Um, and then at some point like the stair, I'm going to break this apart. And so it's like, you know, and, 
it's having what was the point yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's like those mandalas where people you know and then the, yeah. oh sorry yeah. and then you're like don't you break my equipment i'm, I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry go yeah ahead. there's something about you know it's like i don't know because i know that i'm about to take this apart and it's like i was working for something and but at the end of the day it's like everything changes are you at the stage in your life do you feel like you're constantly trying to move up is there that desire or do you feel like you're more at peace right now no you know it, it's it, I definitely feel like in my career, you know, it's also, I'm, I, my performing days are really behind me. Um, and I'm in this place where I'm, I'm not being an associate. I was an associate for so long with many people, many choreographers and directors. Um, and now I'm doing my own thing. I feel like I'm, I am at another level, so to speak in the, but I, you know, it's all, it's always remembering like, Billy, it's all going to end. So it's like holding both things being like, can you enjoy the ride while you're making the staircase? Can you enjoy yourself while you're making, you know? Well, look what the Lego <laughs> has showed us. <laughs> An absolute masterpiece. We'll go in the Lego <laughs> hall of fame <laughs> with this. I don't know with this, like for you can't, can't get up here. I'm putting up this. I don't know. Oh, because the top is all <laughs> yeah, this. I didn't even realize that until oh, I just at look at that. I just yeah. like I was like, wow, that was like subconsciously. Oh, that's <laughs> look at that. There should be a movie. This is on purpose. I did this on purpose. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Amazing performance <laughs> goes in the Hall of Fame. Final questions for you. Yeah. What are some books, movies, role models that have strongly influenced oh, your life? Oh, okay. Um, so this is a book that. <laughs> this has a little story behind it, but in 2008, one of, I just graduated from NYU and it was one of my first performing jobs. It was my birthday. I was on a contract, like a three month contract doing a show in Wisconsin of all mm -hmm. places. And this woman who was older, probably in her sixties must've saw something in me because for my birthday, she gave me the power of now a copy of the power yeah. of now by Eckhart Tolle. And yeah. as a 23 year old, that is like, it's a, you know, I'm like, what is this sort of thing? I remember reading it, not absorbing anything. Years later, picking up the book, seeing it again, and reading the inscription she had written on the front cover, which was like, um, keep returning to this, something along the lines of like, this will, the meaning will change, the, wow. the, you know? So she, and so that is a book that I tell people, The Power Now and A New Earth, which is also by Eckhart Tolle, two books which I, I, every time I pick them up, I find something new depending upon where I am in my life. Those two books, um, movies, role models, movies, let's say movies. Oh, well, I really, I mean, all that jazz is, you know, I feel like we're plugging this. All that, <laughs> it is a very, it's a great movie. I really do love all that, all that jazz. Um, I, <laughs> I also, I mean like Chicago, like movie musicals, I sometimes I roll my eyes at them, but there's some really good. I think Chicago was a really good movie musical that I returned to a lot, like in 2002. Um, Catherine Zeta Jones. Also, Bob Fosse's book, yeah. right? Well, that's it. Well, he did the, the musical and then Rob Marshall Got choreographed it. the movie. But Got it is, it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, he's influenced yeah. so much. I mean, um, like, oh, I just read, um, uh, Questlove's book, which came out a few years ago called Creative Quest, Best, yeah. which I actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but of Creative it. Quest, yeah. I really, for anybody, and it's not just people in the arts, it's like for 
anyone, anyone, because like we all are creative beings. Um, yeah. What was in books? Mu- uh, role movie, models. Role models. Oh, um, you know, I don't know. It's like I, I, I also am at a point in my life where I've met a lot of my role models. I've been very fortunate, and then I've realized that you're just a human being with. Your fake name's not. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't know the role model thing. And it's weird because I'm also at a place now and not uh, to get all egoey, but I am old enough now that I have younger people who look up to me and, uh, and to uh, hate saying the word mentor mentee, but I have a couple mentees through a program at Broadway dance center. And you know, I get so weird about people putting me on a pedestal because I've found that the people I've put on pedestals are just humans trying to get through life and figure out how to find some peace. So, yeah, I I don't know. I kind of tend to stay away from role models or people who I'm inspired by. But I don't know if anybody I'd be like, this person is untouchable and I'm going to like worship at the their feet. I don't know. There's something um, that just turns me off about that idea. Completely get it. (laughs) As a student of dance, who is the greatest dancer alive currently and oh, why? The currently? Yeah. Oh, no. You know what? Okay. I don't know if I can do that. I'm also someone who can never do like, what's your t- like, you know, top five island, you know, books or movie? Because I get so like picking something. What's the I'm best like, pizza yeah, yeah, in the yeah. city? Like, ah! What's your best vacation? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it makes me so nervous. Um, I, you know, I would say I, I'm just going to have to plug some of my best friends in um our i think some of the best living dancers right now and i will name them happily um ricky ubeda mm-hmm. uh who won so you think you can dance melanie moore who won so you think you can dance gabby diaz these are three of people who i adore as beings and they also um are some of the greatest dancers living i think my friend cory petna carly dinardo ida saki these people who are in um this revival of Bob Fosse's dancing, which is coming to Broadway. So there's, there's a lot of people. I'm just very fortunate to be surrounded by, um, a lot of friends who also just happen to be amazing, talented human beings. What a great circle to have around you. The greatest dancers yes. in the world. <laughs> yes. Who is the greatest dancer in history of all time? Oh, of all, oh, that, you know, I think there's an argument for, for a lot of, People, I don't know, like, once again, I don't know if I, I feel like, I don't know if I can just name <laughs> one, but just in it, any it, order, let's say, you know, yeah. like if you're looking in like the world of tap dance, like Gregory Hines, I think is, you know, if you watch his work, it's like, he's a master at what he does. Um, in the whole movie musical realm, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, like they, you know, they, they have their thing that they do. I don't know, you know. Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse it's like I feel I don't know it's it's hard to pick one it's just I feel like there's people who have influenced different you know wherever their genre lies in dance have influenced that greatly but I don't know if I could pick one that's hard (laughs) intentionally hard questions yeah last two questions for you and they get harder by the minute oh my gosh yes (laughs) build up the staircase (laughs) what would you like your legacy to be like you know, I don't know if it was like Maya Angelou who said this, but like this idea of it's not what you do that people remember, it's how you treated them. How you make them feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel 
the older I get and the more um, I'm getting to lead spaces, I, I do realize that like that I want when I leave this body that I, I, I hope that people um, talk about how um, positively I influenced them and how I helped um, them realize their own innate goodness. This whole idea of what you touched on earlier about mirroring um, people's innate goodness. I think, I don't know. I just feel, I feel like that is, you know, I used to be when I was younger, it's like what I did, like, like what I made of what shows I, you know, and that always, that, that just has started to fall away the older I get. And I just realized I'm like, Oh yeah. It's like, can I make somebody feel like, you know what? I do love myself and I, and thank you for helping me realize that. And that's like one of the greatest gifts is having someone come up and be like, you know what? I, I heard the words you said today and I've realized that um, I am enough just as I am. I think you're definitely on that path. Definitely make people feel great as a dance teacher. So that's a great legacy that you're already building. Last question. Ooh. We, in the last hour, we've spoken about dance, about expressing yourself, about spirituality and dance and yeah. stillness and calm. We touch upon creativity and darkness. Final question for you, silly Billy Griffin. <laughs> what is the meaning of this all? What do you think is the meaning of life? The meaning of life. It's so funny you asked that because I, I literally said this in class two days ago um, because the energy in the room was really stuffy. And I said, and I was like, I, I, I don't know who said it. I'm sure a lot of people say this. The meaning of life is to live, is to fully show up in the present moment, to step out of that thinking mind, to come back into your body, into your heart, into your heart center. So I, I really, I think that the meaning of life is to live and, and that's fully accepting everything as it comes, the, the ups, the downs, and just, uh, yeah, because I think more that we think that life is a staircase needing to be climbed, um, the less we are um, giving our full attention to the present moment because we're always worried about the next step. And the next step never really comes <laughs> because we're always just back in the present. Uh, meaning of life is being the present. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bay, thank you so much. If people want to connect with you online, in person, find out what you're up to, come for one of your classes, I can do so. Um, well, silly Billy Griffin on Instagram. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I'm not the best with social media, but I, that's, I, I tend to put the, you know, advertise like classes and what I'm up to on, on Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. silly Billy Griffin is <laughs> where to find them. Billy, thank you so much for a great conversation. Thank you so much. This was really wonderful. And I, it got really, it got me thinking. I was like, whoa, that was good. It was yeah, good. At least thank one you. of us was thinking. <laughs>